This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Becoming Ministering Angels. In the first half, Bonnie D. Parkin shares her address, Personal Ministry, Sacred and Precious. Then in the second half, Candace Barrett speaks on Angels to Beckon Me. I'd like to begin with a story. My amazing daughter-in-law's mother, Susan, was a wonderful seamstress. President Kimball lived in their ward. One Sunday, Susan noticed that President Kimball had come to church and he had on a brand new suit. As Susan looked at this suit, she thought of a wonderful piece of silk that her father had just brought her from New York. And so on thinking, that would make a great tie to go with his new suit. So Monday, she sat down and she whipped up this wonderful tie. Uh, She wrapped it in tissue paper and she walked toward President Kimball's home. Well, just as she was getting closer to the door, she started thinking, Who am I to make a tie for the prophet? Well, she thought, I'm not going to do this. But before she could walk away from the door, Sister Kimball opened the door and said, Oh, Susan! Stumbling all over herself, Susan said, I saw President Kimball in his new suit on Sunday, and Dad had brought me this silk from New York, and I've made him a tie. But before Susan could even continue, Sister Kimball stopped her. She took her by the shoulders, and she said, Susan, never suppress a generous thought. Susan didn't have an assignment to make that tie. She wasn't hired to do so. Despite feeling a bit hesitant, she did it. She did it because it felt right. Susan had a quiet sense of mission to serve others. I was also the beneficiary of such service. Her service went beyond any calling, and it lasted throughout her life. Never suppressing a generous thought became a part of her personal ministry. Some years ago, at the conclusion of the Utah Board of Higher Education, Elder Neil Maxwell submitted his resignation. He said he needed to do so to make time for his personal ministry. Most of the board members assumed he was referring to his apostleship. However, he explained that his personal ministry was different than his apostleship. His personal ministry was to comfort fellow cancer patients. We often speak of the Savior's ministry, but have you ever wondered if you have a personal ministry? I want you to know that I have. What is a personal ministry? Each of us has a personal ministry. I believe we received our personal ministry in the premortal world. It was definitely and divinely given and lasts a lifetime. How can we know what we were entrusted with at this time? As we accept callings, love, and obey the Lord, our personal ministry unfolds. It is a sacred and precious thing. It embraces the people that come and go across the paths of our life. It extends beyond our temporary callings as presidents, counselors, secretary, teachers, and so on. It is illuminated by our patriarchal blessings. While each of our ministries is unique, they allow us to become extensions of the Lord's love. The Holy Ghost is the key to pursuing our personal ministry. 
I pray that the Spirit will attend us in these moments together, that we will each have a greater desire to minister personally to others. It's so important to realize that every interaction we have is an opportunity to minister, to nurture. To minister is defined as attending to the needs and wants of others. The Bible Dictionary adds, The work of the ministry is to do the work of the Lord on the earth, to represent the Lord among the people. Ministering involves extending charity, that pure love of Christ, to others, one person at a time. By doing so, we are offered a kind, generous, peaceful, and pure heart. Opportunities to minister may come in formal stewardships of a calling or assignment, or they may come spontaneously as we extend ourselves to someone in need. I believe these words of Elder Maxwell. Our impact is less likely to emanate from the pulpit. More often, it occurs in one-to-one relationships or in small groups where we can have an impact on an individual. Such ministering follows the scriptural admonition that should govern our every interaction with all of our brothers and sisters. Be gentle unto man, apt to teach, patient. See that you love one another with pure heart, fervently. As we offer such Christ-like service to those around us, we and they are blessed and feel His love. Most ministering opportunities are spontaneous, not planned in advance. Much of the Savior's ministry seemed almost incidental, happening while He was on His way to somewhere else, while He was doing something else. Matthew chapter 9 is an amazing illustration of that. Early in the chapter, the Savior disembarks a ship. A man with palsy was brought to Him. Jesus stopped and healed him. Then Jesus had a discussion with the Pharisees, and a man interrupted, saying his daughter had died. So Jesus left this man. On his way, a woman touched his garment. Jesus healed her. He continued on his way and raised the girl from the dead. As he departed her home, two blind men followed him, and he healed them. As he continued on his way, he cast the devil from a man possessed. All of this took place in just one chapter. He gave us the example of ministering as he went. Just as a doctor comes to heal the sick, Jesus came to heal the sinner. When the Pharisees criticized him for spending time with the sinners, he responded, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Then he said, Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy. Had they simply watched him ministering as he went, they would have learned what he meant. They would have seen his mercy. When we are merciful to others, we can feel our Savior's love in those very moments. President Hunter taught us, We have the responsibility to learn of him, the things he taught, the things he did during his earthly ministry. Having learned these lessons, we are under commandment to follow his example. Like Him, we can go and do likewise if our hearts are open to these opportunities. Just as ministering doesn't always need to be planned, it doesn't need to be spectacular. It is something we can do every day in natural, comfortable ways. Mother Teresa suggested that we do small things with great love. 
My sister Joyce called our 98-year-old Aunt Leona and asked, What can I do for you? Aunt Leona didn't hesitate, but said, Oh, I'd just love a note in the mail when you have a minute. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Who do you know that needs a note? While we were serving in London, we received a missionary from another mission. During his first interview, he told my husband Jim that he did not like the Brits and he did not want a British companion. Jim had prayed about the companionship and felt impressed to put this missionary with one of the hardest-working missionaries, who also just happened to be British. Although the British missionary complained about his companion, he later told us it was a difficult time. Nonetheless, he served his companion in small ways. He made him breakfast, he ironed his shirts, and he even shined his shoes. At the conclusion of his mission, I asked the missionary who did not want to serve with a Brit who his favorite companion had been. It was no surprise. It was the British companion. I have heard remarkable stories of how you BYU students, faculty, and staff minister to each other. Listen for the common threads. I was a little apprehensive and nervous when I moved into a new apartment of the girls in the apartment. Two of them were sisters, and the others were already good friends. I worried about fitting in. To complicate matters, their interests and strengths were my weaknesses. They could make bread from scratch, bake pies, and run a household. Their uniforms for these activities were their well-worn aprons, which hung prominently on the kitchen wall. Then, as I was moving in, I noticed a sewing machine on the kitchen table and was shocked. They even did their own sewing. Well, they must have read me easily because I was soon presented with my very own apron just for me. It didn't seem like ministering, but that blue apron symbolized their extended friendship and it made me feel welcome. They helped me gain confidence in the kitchen, but more lasting. They helped me through their examples. They included me in their circles as they gave of themselves. I still have and use the blue apron in my kitchen as I try to open my home and my heart to others. The second experience is from a BYU graduate. As a sophomore, I had a roommate named Krista. She ministered to me by just being loyal and kind. She asked about my life, and she always listened. She noticed what my talents were and suggested a field of work I would have never considered. The next 15 years of my life were altered because she noticed my skills and abilities, and I took her advice related to a career. She could have noticed my inabilities and my weaknesses. Maybe she did, but she never commented on them. She just helped me be the best person I could by believing in me. The last experience tells of a professor's impact. I was a research assistant for a professor who taught me how to run statistics software, how to cull themes out of quantitative data, and how to patiently comb through survey responses. But he also shared with me faith-filled personal experiences and stories about his family. He lived his values and always remembered which things were most important in life. He inspired me to want to sing and to laugh more and to appreciate life often, even in its extremities. When I came to his office to work, I always left edified. 
He ministered to me even though I wasn't doing a stellar job for him because I was so busy and stressed out with school. He looked at the situation and saw the most important thing in it. That thing was not the work. It was the person who needed hope, faith, and a challenging time of life. One common thread I see in these stories is people who followed the Savior's admonition to feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Isn't it wonderful that there is so much flexibility in how we minister to each other? I hope you can see that all of our personal interactions provide us with opportunities to minister. President Hinckley has said, Believe in yourselves. Believe in your capacity to do some good in this world. God sent us here for a purpose, and that was to improve the world in which we live. The wonderful thing is that we can do it. We can often learn more about our personal ministry through our callings. I hope all of you are visiting teachers or home teachers. I would ask you to look at these assignments with new eyes. There are such remarkable opportunities for you to minister to each other. Do you know the hearts of those that you visit? Do you spend time with them? Do you listen and give them that great gift of knowing that they have been heard and understood? I know it takes time and energy, but I promise it is so important. I testify that as you seek for inspiration, you will not only know how best to serve others, you will better understand your personal ministry. Let me give you an example. Elder Maxwell talked the talk, but he also walked the walk. Eileen Figueres, who currently serves on the Relief Society General Board, shared this story, and I quote, Elder Maxwell oversaw the Asia-North area while my husband Cyril presided over the Japan Fukuoka Mission. Each time we saw the Maxwells, they would ask us if there was anything they could do for us when they returned to Utah. However, we never wanted to burden such busy people with extra things to do. While we were in Japan, our daughter Dawn was a new BYU student. One day, she was called to the front desk of her dorm to find Elder and Sister Maxwell waiting. Wouldn't that be a surprise? <laughs> they knew. She was far away from us and brought her a potted plant for her room and a book by Elder Maxwell. He humbly and humorously suggested that she could read it if she was ever having difficulty falling asleep. <laughs> they chatted with her, told her about what we were doing, and offered her the name and phone number of their daughter, who lived nearby, in case Don ever needed assistance. But this was not the end of their ministering to a college student. During the Christmas holidays, Don received a call to make sure she had a place to go. Sister Maxwell invited her also to come to the MTC to hear Elder Maxwell speak. Their ministry was a blessing to Don and to us, her parents, who thought about her and worried about her as we lived half a world apart from each other. Have you ever been the recipient of someone's ministering? Do you welcome or resist when others try to minister to you? Does it make you feel like a project? Some time ago in our ward priesthood meeting, one of the brethren mentioned that the Compassionate Service Leader in Relief Society had said that there were ward members who did not want to be projects. 
and this had made it difficult for the sisters to serve them. Well, my husband raised his hand and said, if it would help, he didn't mind being the project. (laughs) So if the sisters wanted to bring him some meals when I was out of town, that would be okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, they thought he was just kidding. Jim, will you come forward and share your favorite story about learning to receive? Uh, Once when Bonnie was the Relief Society president, an unusual thing happened. She was sick and could not go to church. She gave me careful instructions for preparing Sunday dinner. I put the roast in the pan, the potatoes, the carrots, the celery around it, and then proper seasoning, I placed it in the oven. The boys and I were stoked. It was our favorite Sunday dinner. (laughs) When we returned from church, the house smelled of that wonderful roast beef fragrance. I went to Bonnie's bedside for further instructions. She told me to put the roast and all the trimmings on serving dishes and take it to another family in the ward. All I could say was, what will we eat? She said, Diana heard I was sick and she's bringing us dinner. Remembering the wonderful roast I just soloed on, I said, well, how about we eat our dinner and give Diana's dinner to the other family? Bonnie responded, no. We need to learn to receive as well as to give. That lesson served me well, and I have taught it on many occasions. But it still hasn't gotten me any extra dinners from the Relief Society. (laughs) Thanks, honey. What I know is that personal ministry must begin in our homes and in our apartments. Don't deny others the blessing of service. Allowing them to minister to us is another form of ministry. Personal ministry helps us feel the love of the Lord and come unto Him. Alma taught us that we entered into a covenant with the Lord at the time of our baptism. We specifically committed to bear one another's burdens that they may be light, to mourn with those that mourn, and to comfort those that stand in need of comfort. As we minister to each other, Alma promised that the Lord would pour out His Spirit more abundantly upon us. Thus, when we serve another, we are individually blessed. A young couple took Alma's words to heart. They learned that a woman in their BYU ward had been diagnosed with advanced leukemia. They opened their hearts to her, her husband, and their young daughter. Listen to what this couple did. They contributed the money that they would spend on Christmas to the family to help defray their mounting medical bills. They visited the wife in the hospital, read to her, brought her small gifts to cheer her up. Six months after the diagnosis, the mother died. The young couple had planned to move east to pursue professional opportunities following graduation. They decided to delay their move so that they could help this newly widowed father while he completed law school. When the father went to class, the young couple cared for this two-year-old daughter. They planned a surprise birthday party for the dad, and with the help of the ward, they kept meals coming. I really can't imagine that such extended service was easy for either the young couple or the widowed father. 
What I do know is that love and relationships, simply and profoundly, are what personal ministry is all about. President Hinckley said, Our mission in life as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ must be a mission of saving. If we are to build the Zion of which the prophets have spoken and of which the Lord has given mighty promises, we must set aside our consuming selfishness. We must rise above our love of comfort and ease, and in the very process of effort and struggle, even in our extremities, we shall become better acquainted with our God. We can become better acquainted with Heavenly Father through prayer. Personal ministry can answer prayers. We can offer daily prayers that enlist the help of the Lord Jesus Christ as we ask, Help me! to be an answer to someone's prayer today. The Lord consistently answers this prayer as we tune our eyes and our ears concerning the needs of those around us. The prayers of one missionary's parents were answered by the personal ministry of another. A missionary arrived in a foreign mission and was struggling with discouragement. He said he couldn't take it and he wanted to go home. His parents and others tried to encourage him, but to no avail. At a training session, this distraught father mentioned his son's struggle to a priesthood leader. The following week, an envelope arrived at the parents' home. Inside was a copy of a letter that had been sent to their son. The letter had been typed on a typewriter and very tenderly addressed to the discouraged elder. It was several pages long, full of encouragement and the writer's own missionary experiences about faith and sticking to it. The letter was warm, loving, thoughtful, personal, and signed, Sincerely, Your Brother, President Gordon B. Hinckley. Shortly after this, Elder wrote his parents to say that he was staying. He became a mighty power for good among the people of his mission. It's motivating to think that in spite of President Hinckley's many responsibilities and his age, he actively is involved in personal ministry. As I have the opportunity to attend the board meeting for the Church Education System, I am moved and touched when it is President Hinckley's turn to pray. He prays for each of you that you will be blessed with faith and with testimony in Jesus Christ. As you increase your faith and testimony, you answer a prophet's prayers. We become the hands of our Savior as we do His work. In a missionary zone conference, we discussed being the answer to someone's prayer. One pair of missionaries went home and prayed that evening and the next morning that they would be the answer to someone's prayers. The next morning, they walked down the high street and a man came running out of his hotel. He asked if they had a copy of the Book of Mormon, and they did. He explained that he was a member of the Church and he was attending a business conference. He was worried about some personal problems, and he had prayed and received the impression that the answer was in the Book of Mormon, but he didn't have one with him. That morning, as he was sitting in the hotel restaurant, he suddenly had the impression he needed to go to the front of the hotel where he saw the missionaries who provided him with the answer to his prayer. Asking to be the answer to someone's prayer has a powerful impact. These are sacred and quiet experiences for those who participate with the Lord in answering prayers. 
As we go about listening, watching, and feeling for answers to others' prayers, even in the midst of our busy schedules, I testify that our earthly ministry unfolds by revelation and by divine empowerment. Our testimonies, faith, and feelings of connectedness to the Lord expand in amazing, unexpected ways. We can increase the participation with the Lord through prayer and even fasting for others. This helps us become aware of the great power the Lord grants to us to make a difference for our brothers and sisters. In short, we can initiate and partake in small miracles on behalf of others, miracles that we are uniquely prepared to do and that only we can do. Wherever and whenever we are ministering, we are sharing God's love. Then, as He always does, both the giver and the receiver are blessed. May I suggest that finding your personal ministry begins with making a decision about a consistent way of being, a way that seeks to nurture, to be entirely helpful, not just now and again, but always. Ultimately, it is a decision to further consecrate ourselves to the Lord, to more fully take upon ourselves His name, to do as He did. Making this decision deepens our connectedness to one another and to the Lord. Such a responsive way of being is who we really are from before this life. I'd like to share with you a part of a letter from someone who experienced this connection with another and with the Lord. She writes, Dear Sister Parkin, We fly quite a bit, and when we got our boarding passes, we had been upgraded to first class. This had never happened before and may never again, but it was a little exciting. As we were getting on the plane, I noticed to my left a young woman in military uniform. The thought immediately came to me, you need to give her your seat. It was quite a strong impression and one I could not ignore. So not being totally obedient, I went to my seat, put my bag down, and sat down. I could not sit, though, and walked back to talk to the stewards. I told them that I wanted to give my seat to someone I saw while I was getting on the plane. Then I went back to my seat, picked up my bag. I stood by the stewards until the young woman boarded the plane, and I pointed her out. They stopped her and informed her that I wanted to give her my seat. She was very appreciative, and I told her that I appreciated all she did for our country, and I was happy to do this. I found out her seat assignment and went back and settled in. About halfway through the flight, this young woman came back to my seat and thanked me again. She kept calling me ma'am and telling me how grateful she was for this kindness. Then she handed me a small piece of paper and walked back to her seat. The note said, Ma'am, I just wanted to say thank you so much. You helped me out in my hour of need. This soldier is forever thankful for your kindness. I'm heading home to attend my mother's funeral. She passed away yesterday in a car accident. I thought God left me and punished me for something. But through this, He gave me an angel to help my travel. Thank you. Here is a little something that helped me out. Now I'm passing it to you. Enclosed with the note was a little metal cross that said, God loves you. The letter concludes, 
I am so grateful that I listened to the Holy Ghost and acted on that prompting. I don't know her name or where she was going. I really only know that she was a soldier. But I know that Heavenly Father knows her name and where she was going and that she was hurting. He wanted her to know that He loved her and was comforting her at this difficult time. I know that Heavenly Father loves me, too, and that He trusts me. It was such a simple thing to do. I guess that is what most service is—very simple things. My dear brothers and sisters, we are each called to reach out to others. Most of the time it happens through simple acts of kindness, one person to another. These are the events that really matter. Our personal ministry is a sacred and precious thing. It allows us to become an extension of the Lord's love. It embraces all who are across our path. What are those things that you can do for another person that only you can do? I invite you to find out. And as you leave the Marriott Center today, you will have immediate opportunity to practice your personal ministry. Please never suppress generous thought. God bless you to follow your promptings. And as you do, I promise He will expand your heart to become more like His. My heart has expanded as I have ministered and been ministered to. It's in those ministering moments that I know that God loves me and testify that He also loves you and that you can feel His love daily. I testify that Jesus is the Christ. I know this for myself. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Becoming Ministering Angels. We've just heard from Bonnie D. Parkin. After the break, we'll return with Candace Barrett for Angels to Beckon Me. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Becoming Ministering Angels. Next is Candace Barrett, Associate Professor in the BYU Department of Statistics at the time of this address, titled Angels to Beckon Me. I am excited to be here today. My husband is also excited to be here. In fact, when I was first asked to give this devotional, within the week he used that as an excuse to buy a new suit. And he and the suit have been waiting since then to make their debut. Well, here they are, with no one here to see it. All teasing aside, I am grateful to have him here today and to have his support always. Waiting seems to be a constant theme of life—waiting to buy or wear a new suit, or waiting to finish a class, or just to pass that next exam— waiting in line at the grocery store, waiting for a job or a job promotion, waiting for physical or mental healing, waiting for rebuilding of a broken relationship, or waiting for a pandemic to lift so that we can all come to the Marriott Center mask-free to enjoy a devotional or a basketball game. Similarly, we can find ourselves waiting on things more spiritual in nature, waiting for answers to prayers, increased faith, additional gospel knowledge or understanding, promised blessings or ordinances, or waiting for forgiveness for a mistake we have made. 
Of course, when we're waiting, we're hopefully doing more than just twiddling our thumbs. We're working and doing all we can do to support the desired outcome with faith, hope, and charity. Professor Aaron Holmes gave a BYU devotional expounding on how waiting on the Lord includes actively seeking God, trying to understand God's plan for us, and choosing faith and hope. But our necessary efforts are not what I want to talk about today. Instead, I want to talk about recognizing others' efforts on our behalf. Sometimes waiting is a mere nuisance, but other times, even when everything is going as it should, waiting is really hard. Several years ago, I was visiting a friend. In the morning, she was trying to get her baby's food ready. I watched the baby cry, oblivious to the fact that her mom was getting her exactly what she wanted and needed. Certainly, this is what a baby should be doing, crying to communicate her needs. However, I have thought of that moment several times since when I have been impatiently waiting. How often, when I am waiting, do I recognize the pieces or look for the pieces that are falling into place exactly as I need them? Or how often am I unaware of others or my heavenly parents working on my behalf? This experience is similar in a spiritual sense to what Moroni says. For behold, God, knowing all things, being from everlasting to everlasting, behold, He sent angels to minister unto the children of men, to make manifest concerning the coming of Christ, and in Christ there should come every good thing. Like the mother working to get her baby the food that she needed, our heavenly parents work to get us the things that we need, specifically a Savior by whom every good thing cometh, by sending angels to minister to us. Moroni goes on to describe Christ's coming and miracles and resurrection. The Savior for which the world had been waiting had come. And then he says, And because he hath done this, have miracles ceased? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, neither have angels ceased to minister unto the children of men. I love this idea of angels ministering to us as we wait. I expect it happens a lot more often than we even realize. I believe in the ministering of heavenly angels, but these angels in our lives are often unseen and unnoticed. Today, I want to discuss those angels that can be more readily visible in our lives, how those with whom we live, work, and pass by in this life can act as angels in our lives every day. So what makes an experience with someone angelic? To answer this question, I studied scriptural accounts of ministering angels to identify how heavenly angels performed their ministry and then connect these accounts to the ministry of mortal angels. One thing I noticed was that, just like us, those to whom the angels appeared were also waiting for something. They, or perhaps someone they loved, were waiting for temporal things such as to be saved from the Philistines, to be delivered from prison, for the defeat of oppressors, for relief from mistreatment by friends, for protection or aid of others, for emotional and physical sustenance, for direction, for healing, for children, and more. They also waited on things more spiritual in nature, such as to understand the meaning of visions or dreams, for a savior, for others to repent or change, for knowledge of gospel or truth, for the priesthood, for forgiveness, or an acknowledgement of forgiveness for privileges of the gospel, and more. Often, we might think that angels come to immediately and completely end the waiting, such as when the angel commanded Laman and Lemuel to stop torturing Nephi and Sam, 
or when Alma and the sons of Mosiah repented seemingly overnight after an angel appeared to them. But more often, the waiting did not end. Although there are many scriptural accounts of angels, I'd like to share two here and relate these accounts to our interactions with mortal angels. I have been intrigued by the story of the angel appearing to the wife of Manoah, more readily known as the mother of Samson. The story indicates two things for which Manoah and his wife were waiting, although they were likely waiting for more than just these two things. First, they and the other Israelites had been under the rule of the Philistines for 40 years. Second, Manoah and his wife had been unable to have children. An angel appears to the woman and tells her that the waiting is over, kind of. The angel tells her that she will bear a son and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. I don't know the exact timing, but it appears to take Samson at least 20 more years before he begins to fight against the Philistines. 20 more years of waiting, in addition to the 40 they'd already waited, is a rather long time in our relatively short earthly experience. Just as angels in the scriptures do not end the waiting, mortal angels likely will also not bring an end to our waiting as soon as we would like. Instead, here, the angel offered hope and gave direction. Of note in this story is that they didn't initially know the man was an angel. The woman thought his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, but they didn't know. It wasn't until the angel came again and ascended in the flame of the sacrificial altar that Manoah and his wife knew for sure he was from God. Indeed, Paul tells us in Hebrews that some have entertained angels unawares. Similarly, we may not immediately recognize those with whom we interact as angels we likely won't have the added perspective of mortal angels ascending to heaven in flames to clue us in, but we may need the added perspective of distance or time to recognize them as such. I was particularly struck by this story because when the woman tells her husband about the angel's first visit to her, Manoah prays in faith asking for the visitor to come to them again, but the angel doesn't come to Manoah. The angel appears to the woman again when she is out in the fields alone. She runs to get her husband, and Manoah meets him then. But why, when Manoah was the one who prayed for the angel to come again, does the angel appear to the woman and not directly to Manoah? I don't know why. The scriptures don't say, and maybe there are several reasons. But perhaps one reason is that angels minister to the individual, and the angel wasn't meant for Manoah. In fact, when the angel initially appeared to the woman— He gave her instructions, and when Manoah did meet the angel, the angel simply repeated the instructions he'd previously given the woman. This insight is important when I think about mortal angels in our lives. Angels minister to us individually, and sometimes in ways that are not what we had in mind. The second scriptural account of angels that I want to share here is that of the angel coming to the aid of our Savior in Gethsemane. Luke tells us of the angel this way. And Jesus kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. The angel could not end the Savior's suffering, but the angel could strengthen him by being with him. This angel's service brings to mind the call of Alma as he preached of the covenant of baptism at the waters of Mormon to bear one another's burdens that they may be light, 
and to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. Thus, if ending our waiting is not an angel's purpose, what is? Moroni describes the ministry of angels this way, and the office of their ministry is to call people unto repentance and to fulfill and to do the work of the covenants of the Father by declaring the word of Christ unto the chosen vessels of the Lord that they may have faith in Christ. I see this as two purposes of angels. One, to call us closer to our heavenly parents. And two, to fulfill their eternal purposes for us through covenants. These two purposes are highlighted in Jacob's dream about a ladder connecting earth to heaven. In this dream, he saw angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. John stated that Jesus used that same phrase when calling Nathanael as an apostle and said that he would see angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, alluding to the fact that he is what connects earth to heaven. Indeed, it is by Christ and through his atonement that we are able to repent and to make and keep sacred covenants to return to our heavenly parents. Therefore, not only did Christ enable our return to our heavenly parents through the atonement, but he also enabled the descending of angels to earth to aid in our making use of that atonement that we may ascend to heaven. As the poet Sarah Flower Adams writes about these verses, angels to beckon me nearer, my God, to thee. Imagining angels ascending and descending reminded me of temple workers moving in and out of the various temple rooms as needed. I thought of how the temple workers fulfill their calling by helping us make and keep sacred covenants individually, one by one. What a perfect depiction of angels performing their ministry for each of us, one by one. How do angels accomplish these purposes? We read in Moroni's description of angelic ministry that they do so by declaring the word of Christ. Nephi preached the same, saying, Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. In the scriptural accounts of angels, I found that they most often speak the words of Christ by ministering as Christ ministered. From the accounts that I shared, we saw that angels offer hope, give instructions, minister individually, and strengthen by being present. In other scriptural accounts, I found that angels give guidance, answer prayers, prophesy, call to repentance, facilitate repentance or change, deliver, rejoice, announce, assure, give peace, command, remind, administer ordinations and ordinances, praise, protect, teach, and testify. Thus, mortal angels also accomplish these angelic purposes in our lives by ministering as the Savior would. Today, we have the keys of the ministry of angels on earth. We are all authorized to act in that capacity, specifically as ministering sisters and ministering brothers, but we have angelic moments all around us. We have people in our lives that fulfill these angelic purposes for us individually, and they do so in ways that heavenly angels would. To help you more readily identify mortal angels in your life— I'd like to share a few experiences where I have felt others act as angels to me. To provide context to these experiences, I first share a few of the things that I have waited for in my life. These will not be representative of what you have or will wait for in your life, but will provide context 
for why I describe certain interactions with others as angelic for me. One of the more substantial waiting periods in my life is that I waited longer than I wanted to have my own family, a spouse, and children. In fact, it was four years and one week ago today that I went on my first date with my husband. I have that family that I'd hoped for now, and I am grateful to have each of them in my life. It's also much different than I anticipated. We are a blended family, and thus we all are waiting to feel like the family we each want as we figure out how to piece our family together in a way that we all feel we belong. In the middle of that waiting, my father was diagnosed with cancer. I waited for him to suffer through cancer and treatments and get better, only to have to wait for him to ultimately die. And now I wait for the day when I will see him again. I also have waited and continue to wait for anxiety and depression to be healed. As I have gotten to know more students here, I found this to be something that many of you are waiting for as well, either for yourselves or someone you love. While I have sought and continue to work to find treatments and coping mechanisms that make them more manageable, I am still waiting and will likely to continue to wait much longer for these heavy oppressors to be lifted. These more temporal waiting periods have sometimes brought on spiritual waiting periods where I wonder if my heavenly parents are really aware of me and if I'm fulfilling the divine missions that they and I had hoped. Thus, those I identify as serving as angels in my life most often bring me messages of my heavenly parents' love and awareness of me. Because angels minister to the individual, you will find that angels accomplish their purposes for you differently than they do for me. But, just as I have found similar patterns between mortal angels in my life and scriptural accounts of angels, you may find patterns between angel experiences in my life and how you might find them in yours. I pray that the Spirit will bring these experiences to your mind. I wish I could share with you all of those that have served to fulfill that angelic ministry in my life. Certainly, many people listening to this now have done so, even in more meaningful ways than those experiences I share here, and I'd love to honor their service in that way. Instead, I have chosen to share only a few experiences that illustrate a variety of people, situations, and modes of angelic ministry. In the midst of one of the more difficult periods of my waiting, I asked a friend to give me a priesthood blessing. In the blessing, he said, among other hopeful and heavenly things, The Lord is closer than you know. Afterwards, he testified to me how strongly he felt that and how he had never felt that so strongly before when giving a blessing. In that moment, he acted as an angel would act, reminding me in an acute way of my heavenly parents' love for and closeness to me. I have reflected and relied on that blessing many times during similar periods of distress, and I want each of you listening to this now to know that the Lord is closer than you know. When my dad had stopped cancer treatments and was in hospice care, we had a CNA come to our house every day. While different CNAs came, one particular CNA came more often than others. She brought humor into our home during a time of stress and uncertainty. She ministered to my dad as she cared for him as his nurse, but her ministry was also to us. We could feel her love for him and for us. Because of that— and many other friends and family that gathered around us, just as I suspect heavenly angels gathered around us on the other side of the veil, we felt an abundance of heaven's love, peace, and strength. I have been taught by mortal angels things I wouldn't have otherwise been able to learn. 
For example, my therapist has taught me how to identify and change my thinking patterns in a way that I could not have done on my own. I didn't have the tools to do that. She has served as an angel to me to help me change and bring me closer to the person my heavenly parents want and need me to be to fulfill my divine missions. I have had angel friends rejoice with me, virtually even. When I shared a picture of a quilt I'd made for my son on Instagram before he was born, a friend, knowing how much I had longed for a child, saw that I'd signed the quilt, Love Mom. And she wrote, Ah, Love Mom, I got tears in my eyes. This message reminded me of the great blessing and answer to prayers this baby was for me. Mourning with those that mourn also means rejoicing with those that rejoice. Complete strangers have served as angels to me. Occasionally, I travel to different countries for work conferences. For one conference, I decided to travel around Italy ahead of time by myself. I enjoy seeing and experiencing different places and have traveled a bit by myself. But this was a longer solo trip than usual, and I was feeling a bit lonely as I sat on the bench by myself eating gelato. How cliche is that? A stranger asked if she could sit by me while she waited for her husband. I chatted with her a bit and learned that she was from Bountiful, Utah, not far from where I grew up and not far from us here in Provo, too. I met many people on that trip, but to have met someone from home at that moment reminded me that my heavenly parents were aware of me, even as I sat by myself eating ice cream. I would have been fine without her visit, but it's not just in the desperate times where we will find angels ministering to us. It can and often will be in the simple times, too. We might be in our fields per se, going about our day as usual, and it might not be until later that we realize those that minister to us were, in fact, angels. Perhaps some of the most angelic experiences we can have are when we receive grace from those we have offended or hurt. I often feel that if I offer grace to those that have hurt me, then I am dismissing my pain and permitting future offenses. But this is in direct conflict with my own experiences— When those I have hurt or offended have offered me grace, I am more often humbled and brought to my knees to repent and change. While receiving grace from others does not mean I am free from consequences, it does mean I am free from their judgment or backlash. A friend and clinical psychologist, Dr. Danita Bowling, said of her practice, one of the theoretical assumptions I take into therapy sessions with me is that people are generally doing the best they can with what they have and know in the moment, and there's more than enough grace and mercy for all of us. Just as the Savior offers grace to us, we have mortal angels offering us grace to show us the path back to heaven. Sometimes, though, we won't have or notice angels around us when we feel we need it. A number of years ago, I was having a particularly tough day. I prayed, asking for help, and I had a thought to invite a new friend to a movie. I doubted myself. How can I be a friend to someone when I feel like this? But I did. And you know what happened? She came to the movie with me. I did feel a little better, and I assumed that this was why I felt that prompting. But that's not the reason I remember this day. The reason I remember this day is because I found out later how important my call and calls from others were to my friend. Those calls let her know that she wasn't alone during a time when she felt hopeless— We served as angels to each other. Recently, my siblings and I were talking about whether we feel our dad ever. My brother said, I feel dad when I do things that dad would do. 
Likewise, we will feel and recognize more angels in our lives as we do what angels, or more precisely, what our heavenly parents would do. A friend reminded me that waiting has two orthogonal definitions, the waiting in life I've talked about today and the waiting that happens when a server at a restaurant waits tables. Thus, our waiting can act as a reminder to wait on or serve the Lord. Isaiah said, They that wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. Perhaps Isaiah would not mind this slight edit. They that wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings as angels. President Bonnie H. Corden called on us in April's General Conference to let our lights shine, and I couldn't help but see the parallels to the purposes of angels when she said, The Lord's invitation to let our light so shine is about focusing our light so that others may see the way to Christ and helping others see the next step forward in making and keeping sacred covenants with God. We often think that our small efforts don't mean anything. My Ward Relief Society president sent a message to our ward about a month or so ago that said, The essence of ministering is to hold up the light of Jesus Christ one by one. I want you to know that one by one is not insignificant. It is significant. And as a statistics professor— You all knew this was coming. I want to say that it is both statistically and practically significant. This summer, my collaborator, Professor Mike Goodrich, and his research team mapped the connections of all students through classes here at BYU. We found that through classes alone, 95% of students are connected to over half of all BYU students within just three classes. This means that those in your classes— are connected to those in their classes who are connected to others in their classes. And that collection makes up more than 50% of BYU students, more than 16,000 people. How quickly one can become 16,000. Alyssa Parker, who sought peace and connection to her daughter after her daughter was killed at Sandy Hook Elementary, said in a talk, Do you see it? We are all connected. We are all each other's angels. We are all ministering angels. We are part of that same angelic work. We might feel unprepared to take on the calling of angelic ministry to others. The story of Esther is a story that means a lot to me. I love when her cousin says to her, essentially, If you don't stand up for us, God will send someone else. But who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Former Relief Society General President Barbara B. Smith said, We have no reason to believe that Esther had prepared specifically for the role she had to play, and yet all her life was preparation, as mine is and as yours is. Preparation may be conscious and skillful, or casual and undirected, but in either case, it is cumulative. Our Heavenly Parents will use our experience and testimonies right where we are. We have been prepared to act as angels for others. Don't be afraid to offer comfort and to teach of Christ. Around the time I finished my PhD, one of my sisters said how impressed she was. I told her something like, yeah, but I could not have done it without my advisor. Her response? Isn't that what an advisor is for? We need each other. We are not meant to accomplish this life alone. While we are waiting, we have angels ascending and descending all around us. I testify to you of the power of everyday mortal angels in our lives that we can see if we will look. They will show us of our Heavenly Parents' love for us individually. They will help us to fulfill our divine missions. And we can also be that for others through even simple acts, one by one. 
I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Becoming Ministering Angels with thoughts from Bonnie D. Parkin and Candace Barrett. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.